Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. I uh, do want to apologize for our YouTube viewers if, like, there's a weird glare. I am visiting some family, and I want to apologize to all listeners because I don't have my microphone, so this might sound a little bit wonky today, which stinks because we have a really special guest for today's episode of the pod to give us a little bit of insight into the Michigan Wolverines ahead of Penn State's trip to Ann Arbor this week. It's my pal Ace Ann Bender of Ace, what? What thing don't you write for in the Michigan universe? Uh, at this point, it's just meetatmidfield.com. So I've consolidated. Okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's me, it's Taylor Fulton on the Michigan end, and then uh, the Flipping the Field boys, uh, Patrick Mayhorn, Ryan Donnelly, and then Kevin Harris and DJ Burns on the Ohio State side. So it's, uh, it's a fun crew. We, we, uh, we have a good time. It is a great crew, and you know it says a lot uh, when I'm saying that about a website that is basically all Penn, uh, Ohio State and Michigan people. But uh, regardless, how you doing, brother? Uh, I'm good. I uh, I apologize for the uh, uh, wood paneling basement background and uh, wonky lighting, but uh, we've got some renovations going on at home, and my girlfriend is working at the office upstairs. So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> this is where I'm at right now. Hey, listen, we who who among us has not had to f- record a podcast in the basement at one time or another? We of we course. cut our teeth. We cut our teeth to get to uh the point where we can have a podcast sponsored by Homefield Apparel. But we will save that for a little bit later in the podcast. Today we're just here to talk Penn State and Michigan from the Michigan perspective. The Wolverines 6 and 0 on the season, 3 and 0 in conference play, the number 5 team in the country, of course, coming off of a magical season last year where they only lost uh, to Michigan State in the regular season, went on to win the Big Ten, uh, and then, you know, they got Georgia, whatever. Uh, really interesting Wolverines team this year. They uh, don't, haven't exactly played the most difficult schedule, but you can see the just how good this team is capable of being on its best days, Ace. And I think that's, you know, before we really dive into that game and we just talk about general big picture vibe stuff, see where this team has been so far this season, this just looks to me like a Michigan team that is a step up from basically every other Michigan team Harbaugh has had in that it's just such a well-rounded, complete, and talented football team. Yeah, I mean, they've they've put together an offense in a way that I think is much more uh, cohesive just between what they're doing in the passing game and what they're doing in the running game than, than it's been before. Mm-hmm. And having JJ McCarthy as a quarterback just really unlocks a lot for them. So I think, mm-hmm. I mean, at the very least the ceiling is higher than it's been. And it, I mean, I've been diving into I, I, I do post breaking down a play from each game every week as part of my uh, like Michigan gifts post. And it's been really hard to resist the temptation to just do a new variation on split zone every week because Michigan just keeps breaking out these things. That's like, I know it's probably like something that isn't as necessarily cool as I think it is, but it's more something that I can recognize and see that it makes sense. But uh, like, Michigan running things that make sense with a good quarterback, something that uh, we can't take for granted. So um, I, I've definitely enjoyed just seeing the the potential of this offense so far this season and the team as a whole. Yeah, so let's, let's take a step back before we start diving into the season. Just talk about kind of the big picture general vibe with Michigan football because it's coming off of such a great year. And it had 
a very, very, very weird offseason in spite of that. Obviously, there's Jim Harbaugh flirting with an NFL job. There's Josh Gaddis leaving. There's Mike McDonald heading back to the NFL. But it feels like, you know, the thing that Harbaugh basically said in the aftermath of that was, okay, that's in the past. I'm 100% focused on this team and making this team as good as possible. And somehow, some way, it legitimately feels like that from the outside – that's where Michigan is. Like just everything is happening uh, to make Michigan kind of the national powerhouse that I think everyone expects it to be, even though it has a brand new offensive coordinator, a brand new defensive coordinator, a coach who uh, got some people mad at him, all these sorts of things. Is that a fair read on it? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I think Jim Harbaugh, I, I was initially concerned about his openness in which he, I mean, he was telling recruits that he was going to pursue the Vikings job on signing day, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, is a, is a pretty wild thing to read, but I think it also, you know, that kind of uh, just openness and honesty, which also, as you mentioned, the off season uh, led to him saying some things that I, I think most people wish he did not, um, uh, you know, I think it helped in terms of this team just being like, okay, like coach said, he was going to pursue this job and now he's back and he's like with us for this. And so honestly, I've, I've kind of been pleasantly surprised by the level of buying. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with the coordinator changes, uh, honestly, I was never a huge Gattis guy. Uh, It just never seemed to fully come together in the way that uh, it was supposed to under him. I, I thought Mike McDonald should have been the guy who, was up nominated for the Broyles award last year off of Michigan staff and Gaddis won it, which was cool. But uh, it was, it was a little funny to see the offensive coordinator win it in a year where it really felt like the defensive coordinator was the guy who, who should have. And I think we're kind of seeing mm-hmm. um, evidence that uh, that should have been the case this year, both in terms of there's even though Michigan lost both coordinators, there's continuity on both sides of the ball. Sharon Moore was a co-offensive coordinator last year. Uh, he's maintained that role. Um, so he's more involved in the play calling a little bit, but, um, Matt Weiss was on the staff last year, uh, as the quarterback's coach. So there's the co-offensive coordinators are familiar, familiar with the system. It hasn't been a big change and it seems like they've actually added a number of things. It helps to have McCarthy in there too. And then on defense, they brought in another Baltimore Ravens guy and Jesse Minter. So, um, I mean, they've got a... They got a nice little system going with the this John Harbaugh to Jim Harbaugh pipeline where they're just kind of bouncing coaches between the staffs, uh, basically. Uh, I know Minter, uh, you know, did a couple years at Vandy, but um, they are basically running. It's pretty much the same scheme. Minter's uh, maybe been a different style of play caller so far, but it's also difficult to get a read on it because Michigan's played one offense this year. <laughs> yeah. And, and that one offense is an offense that, like, everything they want to do is a means to an end to get Talia Tagovailoa throwing the football down the field. So, yes. so like, I, I guess my other question is that, like, it seems like all the stuff you mentioned about coaching is 100% correct. But then I go through and I look through who, like, the captains are, who the main contributors are to this Michigan team. And, yeah, I lost Hassan Haskins 
uh, lost David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson. I know it lost uh, some other players in the defense, but it's just amazing how much continuity it seems like there is from last year's Michigan team. Is that correct? Uh, certainly on the offensive side of the ball, it is pretty much, uh, other than losing Haskins, all the same playmakers except you swap out quarterbacks and you feature Blake Corum more. And you also get Ronnie Bell back, and he's been yeah. the number one receiver so far this year. He missed uh, pretty much the entirety. Of it. He, he got injured in, I think, the first quarter of the opener. So um, having him back has been huge. And then the defense, there's continuity at, I would say, critical positions where mm. um, uh, Mozzie Smith is still there at nose tackle, which is really important just to anchor things down. Uh, and you've got continuity in the secondary um that pretty much has all come back with the exception of dax hill and brad hawkins and those guys those losses should not be overlooked especially dax hill but um they've done a really impressive job of finding not necessarily like for like replacements on defense but finding a way to collectively replace like the, Mm. the impact of hutchinson and ojabo and weirdly um Michigan has actually been much more productive as a pass rush this year, uh, even when you account for the opponents, um, mm. uh, at least in terms of pure sacks. The, the weird thing about last year's team was they actually did not convert many sacks outside of those two rush ends, but they just generated so much pressure that, it I mean, the disruption was very, very obvious on TV. So um, we'll see if they can keep that up. But uh, it, it's really been impressive how much they've kept up the pass rush on defense given the loss of those two first round edge rushers. Yes, I am I am looking at it again and Michigan had seven sacks against Penn State last year, uh, with five of them coming from uh Hutchinson and Ajabo to like very good players. I'm actually interested to hear that because I I remember thinking in last year's game basically that like Hutchinson and Ojabo are just so good at pinning their ears back and getting home. But I felt like, you know, if you can, I, I don't want to say take them out of a game, they're like the rest of Michigan's defense isn't going to necessarily attack you too much. So that is, it's an interesting thing. And we'll get into that in a second. But before we do that, I want to just ask about the season so far. Michigan, like we mentioned, number five team in the country, 6-0 and on the year. Blowout wins in the non-conference against Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. Wins so far in Big Ten play. A seven-point win over Maryland. A 13-point win over Iowa at Iowa. A 21-point win at Indiana. Uh, They come into this game ranked fourth in SP+, eighth offensively, ninth defensively, third in special teams. And Ace, I guess kind of the general question that I have here, two parts. One are they as good as the numbers indicate, or do you think that uh, they've just been one of those teams that has taken care of business against a schedule that they should be taking care of business against? Or And two, how do you feel about this team compared to last year's team at about this same point, the midway point of last year? Do you think they uh, are farther ahead? Do you think they have a way to go? Do you think they're at about the same place, just kind of as a well-rounded team? Just how, how would you say those two things are? Uh, I would definitely say, I mean, I think it's totally fair to have Michigan fourth or fifth in the country where the numbers kind of say they are right now, depending on Mm -hmm. both in the polls and like SP plus. Um, I mean, both in terms of uh, 
coming up with an alternative for fourth best team in the country is not necessarily the <laughs> easiest thing unless you're a Clemson believer. Um, and uh, I mean, yes, the schedule has been awful. There are no two ways around that, especially since like the real games they've played in, in big 10 have been against some, some pretty flawed teams. You know, if you, if you mash, you know, Maryland's offense and Iowa's defense together, you might, ma- you might really have something, but you have a really good football team. Yeah. But uh, we, we don't, <laughs> we, we haven't seen that. Um, so we're definitely trying to extrapolate things from kind of minimal evidence, but that's the college football. <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, I don't think you could ask for a whole lot more from Michigan over these first six games, except, you know, JJ McCarthy connecting on a few deep balls, which has kind of been the thing that everybody's looked at and gone, you know, and, looked at as a point of major concern is, oh, he's overthrown receivers on four or five deep shots so far this season. And these are passes he hit last season. He hit a deep shot to Ronnie Bell, like, you know, a couple games ago. It's it's not something I'm super concerned about. And when that's like, at least on offense, the major concern, you got to feel pretty good about it. And uh, defensively is where I'm, uh, I, like the offense, I believe the numbers. The defense is where, I will be interested to see what happens when they face a high level team because the linebacker level has been very shaky. And um, that's something that Iowa was never going to exploit. Maryland didn't really, that's not an offense that's designed to exploit that second level. They're Mm -hmm. more trying to attack your secondary uh, over the top. And so I, uh, I'm curious to see, especially with Penn State, with uh, a couple really good running backs, with a quarterback who can make some things happen with his legs, how this defense holds up on the second level, because there are some concerns there, and that's where I'm a little worried about, um, you know, how Michigan upscales when they have to face a real team. Uh, That said, I I would say they're further ahead than last year. Uh, I mean... um, you know, last year around this time, I, I don't have the schedule pulled up right in front of me, but uh, this feels like around the time that Michigan was kind of eking out some wins against Nebraska and Rutgers. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just, I mean, I would say the floor might be a little bit lower than it was last year for this team, just because, uh, uh, you know, the defense's ability to just rush four and uh, with Hutchinson and Ojabo really raised the floor of things. And Cade McNamara was really good at avoiding mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. But the ceiling is definitely higher. Um, just uh, the the offense can be so much more explosive with McCarthy. And it has been so far. Um, and that part of it, uh, in addition to, I love Tassan Haskins, but Blake Corum might be a Heisman candidate. Like, yeah, um, uh, there, there are, notable upgrades at certain spots where it's it's easy to talk yourself into this team and we just need to see it happen against a you know a team with a pulse on both sides of the ball (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's interesting i was going through michigan's uh the sp plus of every team they've played so far this year and uh, you know unsurprising to everyone Penn State is by SP plus the best team they played. Second best team was Maryland at 22nd overall. Penn State's 14th. Offensively, the best offense that uh, Michigan has played is Maryland. They were 16th offensively. Penn State was is 46th. So a bit of a drop off there. Uh, but if you want to talk about a drop offs, 
after Penn State, it gets really bad for offenses that this Michigan team has played. The next best offense is Indiana at 92nd offense. <laughs> That's brutal. Uh, and then deep. <laughs> And then defensively, Iowa, best defense that they've played, the number one team in the country defensively. Uh, and we'll actually talk about that Iowa game when we talk about the offense in a second, because I think that was probably instructive to how Michigan is going to try to approach this one. Uh, Penn State is sixth, and again, pretty big drop-off after that. The next best defense they've played is Maryland at 51st. Uh, and then there's special teams, which, whatever, nobody cares about special teams, SP+. Plus. Uh, I love you, Bill Connolly. Uh, before we dive in to this game, where Michigan is, uh, their strengths and weaknesses on offenses, the X factors in this game, some other things that we can do here. We want to take a second to thank our podcast sponsor, it's Homefield Apparel. Ace, have you heard of them? Oh, very much so. They are a, uh, a lovely supporter of us as well. Yes, as a college football podcast on the internet, we are both legally required to have Homefield Apparel as a sponsor. And if you have not heard of them by now, they are a premium collegiate apparel brand right out of Big Ten country based in lovely Indianapolis, Indiana. They are Hoosiers fans. They watched Michigan last week. Could have gone better for them. Their shirts are comfortable. They are unique. And they take the time to make sure that the stuff that they are putting on shirts makes you feel a little bit closer to your school. It doesn't even have to necessarily be your school. I own a Hawaii shirt from them. It's a great shirt. I own St. Peter's joggers from them. I'm they wearing those right now. <laughs> the St. The Peter's joggers? Yes. I'm also They're wearing great. a Slippery Rock hoodie. And, yes, a Carhartt, and a Carhartt hat. So I'm very Midwesterned well. out right now. <laughs> yes, there is a... Uh, we will we will play some American football and let you do uh what oh god I feel like an idiot what genre of music is that oh uh that, that's just some like good indie folk right there American football uh, Midwest emo whatever it is yeah I mean like uh, yeah it, it, it yeah it's like borderline acoustic that's that, that that's yes. what we were looking for. Yes, you are you are fitted out to go to a sunny day real estate concert. Uh, yes. Neither here nor there. Of course, they have they had their annual. Uh, Annual weekly whatever competition, big new Saturday. Penn State ended up winning that because Penn State fans are psychopaths in the best possible way. I consider myself one of them. There are 15 pieces of apparel in their Penn State line. And if you are a new customer and want to get 15% off of your first order, use the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase. Again, Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order at Homefield Apparel. Thank you to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. Ace, let's talk about this Michigan team and this Michigan game, and we will start on the offensive side of the football. When you look at them, what would you say this team's biggest strength is offensively, and what would you say their biggest weakness is as you sit down and you analyze this team? I mean, this team is always going to be able to run the football to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, there have been only a couple instances where they haven't been able to pretty consistently gain yardage. And that's been either against Iowa kind of selling out against the run as, or not really selling out, but Iowa being Iowa and, and just keeping yeah. everything in front of them. And uh, uh, some, the Indiana game was very strange because I, the run game coordinator had a medical emergency during the first yes. half. Um, thankfully, Mike Hart is now recovering in Ann Arbor. Um, but uh, I, I think there's a, a certain amount of that game that you can just sort of throw out because uh you don't anticipate that happening. And uh, um, I mean, Blake Corum is just consistently churning out six, seven yards of carry uh, Donovan Edwards, when he's been available has been a, has been a pretty solid backup running back. And I think he's got a lot more that he can show. Um, he's just been 
uh, dinged up a little bit. And also Corum has just really taken hold of that job. Yeah. Um, so certainly the strength, uh, I would say, is just their ability to move guys up front, run the football, uh, do a lot with, um, I mean, I mentioned they're running a lot of variations of split zone. And then um, their ability to build off of that run game and uh, create a passing game around that that let like features J.J. McCarthy without putting him in positions to make uh, backbreaking mistakes. Uh, I think they've done a great job of getting him on a lot of, you know, rollout, half-field read type stuff off of play action where he only has to look at a couple receivers he can trust in his arm. And he's also got the option to just make a play with his legs if, if it's not there. And he's really been improving, I think, over the course of the season at making those decisions a little bit more quickly instead of doing a little uh, yakety sack action behind the line of scrimmage, which uh, was a little bit of a feature early for him. Um, as for the weakness, there have been a few moments in pass protection where Michigan just uh, has not looked great, um, particularly right tackle uh trente jones is a first year starter there and he exited the indiana game with uh what they think is a high ankle sprain so he is almost certainly going to be out this weekend uh he's being replaced by carson barnhart who's kind of the utility offensive lineman uh i think he's the backup at every spot except center and uh um he's just coming back from his own injury and we haven't seen he, – he held up pretty well at right tackle when he filled in last week, but that was against Indiana. Indiana doesn't have a pass rush. So um, there's a little bit of concern that there might be some pressure just right in McCarthy's face. And while that's better than having it uh, on his blind side, um, I'd, I'd prefer no pressure. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely prefer no pressure. So that, that's, that, I think, is kind of the weak point right now. Um, but – it's, you know, Michigan has also been able to kind of take what they want against defenses that have not been particularly strong outside of Iowa's. Yeah. So, you know, I think Penn State fans, they know Blake Corum. Uh, they know how good that guy is. We've seen him in the past. Donovan Edwards is, uh, like you mentioned, his backup, who's really talented dude, but has had some injuries. Then you look at their pass catchers, Ronnie Bell, Luke Schoonmaker, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Andrew. Like, it's a lot of known dudes. Yeah. Uh, real quick, is is there any is Eric all going to play in this game? Uh, I think all is probably done for the year. Uh, okay, they have not made any sort of formal announcement on that yet, but all pretty much every indication is this is a, a relatively long term injury. So Schoonmaker's really stepped up, but yeah. after that, uh, it's mostly guys who are going to block. Okay, uh, listen, I hope he gets better. I hope he uh, goes on to have a long football career. I'm just saying if uh, Eric All caught a pass over the middle against Penn State this week, I'd have a heart attack. So <laughs> uh, for, re for, for very understandable reasons. But I want to get into McCarthy, and I want to get into uh, the decision to go with him over Cade McNamara this year. Uh, do you agree with the following statement? And this is just my read on it as a hyper outsider. The fact that they didn't just give it to Cade McNamara meant it was always going to be J.J. McCarthy's job. Uh, I think functionally that was how it was going to turn out. Okay. Uh, because J.J. Mm. Uh, McCarthy is a better quarterback. Uh, I, yeah. I think that that is what it came down to ultimately, is that there was just a pretty obvious gap between those two, even before you uh, got down to what does this team want to look like? Do they want to, like, 
there there was the expectation that it was going to be kind of this thing where like McCarthy avoiding negative plays as well as McNamara was going to be the decisive factor. And then mm-hmm. McNamara made as many negative plays as McCarthy in the early part of the season, if not more. Um, and also was just kind of a sitting duck back there for opposing pass rushes. So mm-hmm. um, it made a lot of sense to go with McCarthy. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, to be honest, I, I, I think Jim Harbaugh gave Cade McNamara every possible chance he could because yeah. I, I think it would have been pretty easy to just uh, name JJ the starter just in fall camp. Um, That's and, fair. Uh, the schedule definitely set up where you could be like, no, let's actually determine this with uh, in a competition during real games. And I think there was some benefit to that because, you, I mean, to be quite frank, it, it looked like McCarthy really stepped up under the pressure while McNamara took a step back under it. And that's mm-hmm. something that, um, especially considering McNamara did not play particularly well against Georgia last year uh, when the pressure was on. And obviously that, you know, not a lot of players played well against Georgia's defense last year, but um, I I think it's good to throw quarterbacks into difficult situations when you, especially when there's not a lot of downside to it, like there was with Mm -hmm. Michigan's non-conference schedule and just see what happens. And in this case, it, it, it made it very easy to make the switch. Right. And if the floors are probably here for both dudes, but the ceilings are here, it, it, it's one of those things that becomes a lot more understandable of a decision. And the thing I want to that has stuck out to me about McCarthy, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems like the what what the offense wants to do, what Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss want to do with him is basically try to like turn off the thing in his brain that every young quarterback, every young prodigious quarterback has, where it's like, my arm has been always been strong enough to do anything I want. I've always been athletic enough to do anything I want. And it seems to me like they've done a really good job doing that and basically uh, making life as easy as possible on JJ McCarthy. You know, that could sound like it's a negative, like they don't trust him, blah, blah, blah. I legitimately think in watching Michigan, the entire thing is, They want to send J.J. McCarthy out there. They want to limit the number of mistakes he makes because that's the one thing McNamara did so well last season. And he has responded to that really well. Yeah, no, I I totally agree there. I I think basing the – I mean, Harbaugh is always going to be a run-first guy, but this is a team that's really well set up to base things off of that run game. And then uh, so many of these passes are – utilizing that that tight end motion behind the line of scrimmage that also is exactly what you see when they run split zone so you've got linebackers who have no idea whether they need to be getting up to block this guy getting up there to hold the edge or you know covering this guy on a wheel route or something or covering him in the flat and a lot of these throws for McCarthy have been to pretty open receivers and and, um, there's also a trust in him to uh make the correct reads that they're running a fair yeah. amount of, of RPOs. Uh, pretty much every run has some sort of read tag on it. And McCarthy has done a better job of not just uh, deciding to keep on all of those, which was a little bit of a thing, especially last year when he was coming in in situational uh, packages as just kind of the quarterback who could run. I, I think there was the temptation for him to be like, I want to show this off at every opportunity. 
And now that he's the full-time starting quarterback, there's, uh, you know, less of an inclination for him to feel like he needs to make a play every time that he can just hand it off to Corum for, you know, a, you know, probably a guaranteed four to six yards or um, just dump it off in the flat to Luke Schoonmaker and let him pick up a chunk. And I, I, I mean, he's leading the nation in completion percentage. Like it's really hard yeah. to complain about um, how he's performed and how the coaches have set him up to succeed because you definitely need the scheme to be working for you. If you're going to complete 78, 79% of your passes. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have, you know, no one on Michigan's for the reasons that you mentioned, particularly with Mike Hart. Like, it just looked like an offense that was uh, trying to play through the fact that they want something really terrifying happen to a coach they love, like, earlier in the game. Like, nobody had a good first half for Michigan's offense last week. And then McCarthy bounced back in a huge way. He was excellent against Indiana's defense in that second half. The game that's instructive to me in in this this game, and it's a little different because that was a road game, was the Iowa game where you look at McCarthy's line, 18 for 24, 155 yards, 6.5 yards per completion, and a touchdown. My guess, Ace, is going up against a Penn State defense that while they will allow yardage, they will allow big plays just kind of by nature of what Manny Diaz does. They want to make you make mistakes. My hunch is we are going to see a game pretty similar to this out of McCarthy where he knew Iowa was going to be playing their two deep safeties. He knew they were going to be playing zone defense all over the place. He knew they were going to try and uh, make him uncomfortable. And he just went, okay, I'm going to take this, 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 and this. And I'm not even going to worry about, you know, trying to throw to uh, Ronnie Bell behind the defense. Would you, it, is that what your expectation is? Or do you think they're going to try and lean into the fact that this game is at home and a Penn State defense under Manny Diaz is going to be susceptible to allowing big plays in the passing game. I think there'll be accommodation. And I think game state is going to play a huge okay. part in it because uh, Michigan uh, for, I, I think pretty obvious reasons because they're, a, you know, a run first team. Uh, the, you know, the game situation plays a huge role in how they call games. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Michigan try to come out early, hit a big player too. Um, see if they can get something big on their scripted drive and then be able to just go into cruise control. Uh, you know, obviously that's the ideal for Michigan in every game, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to set something up over the top early, especially if Roman Wilson is back. Uh, he missed the Indiana game. It's unclear whether he'll be there, but he's incredibly fast. Like it, it's just really mm-hmm. hard to guard that guy. If there's any hesitation by a cornerback or a safety, he's just gone. Um, mm-hmm. So, it wouldn't shock me to see Michigan try that, but in general, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to uh, really establish quorum and try to keep things relatively simple for, for McCarthy. And then, I mean, when looking at, at, you know, Penn State's defense, it seems like what relative weakness they have in, in pass defense, and they have a heck of a pass defense, is uh, guarding – defending in the slot, defending kind of your more secondary receivers. So I think it's going to be like the outside receivers are going to have a tough time against like Joey Porter Jr. Like he's, he's dang good. And it seems Mm -hmm. like he's cut down a little bit on the penalties that, uh, um, kind of marred his play a little bit earlier in his career. Um, but, uh, so I, you know, they're not going to be able necessarily to target Ronnie Bell 15 times like they did against Indiana, but I think you're going to see, 
Luke Schoonmaker get really involved. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe some more stuff with Donovan Edwards to, to try to mess with Penn State's linebacker level. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be little stuff like that, little wrinkles to the run game, trying to, you know, Harbaugh's whole thing is like, you know, especially with this, with Blake Corum, with this offensive line, like, we're just trying to get one guy in the wrong gap. And, yep. uh, and, and that, I think, is a, is a good approach against a Penn State team that is generally pretty sound, but is going to take some risks. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I have, uh, you know, dog-eared for this game is that Penn State has, well, they are just 12th nationally in passing attempts per game. Like Penn State's defense is 12th nationally in raw passing attempts faced per game. They are last nationally in passing attempts faced per game. No defense has faced more passing attempts than them. They are fourth nationally in rushing attempts faced per game. They are, they've had 27 uh, rushing attempts per game. They've had 45.2 passing attempts per game. So you, the the game state thing is very interesting here. And little little uh, foreshadowing. I will be discussing this with Ace on his pod. Uh, but <laughs> that's something that I like. I'm like I think that's the entire game. If Penn State can, if Penn State's defense can basically get Michigan's offense to do what Purdue is, did against them this year, and a lot of that is by design with Purdue. What Auburn has done against them this year, and with to an extent, Northwestern has done against them this year. I think they're going to be fine. Here's the issue. Michigan's offense is way better than those three offenses. Uh, you know, the one that is closest to them is Purdue, and Purdue is, like, just such a unique offense to have to go up against. So that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to because I legitimately think the one big question I have about this Penn State defense is what happens when it has to actually stop a running game, and it's not just whatever the hell Auburn tries to do uh, out there. Moving over to the other side of the football, Michigan's defense. It sounds to me, Ace, like you you believe this is a talented Michigan defense, a good Michigan defense, but for how good and talented they are, and again, I would love for you to get into their strengths, this is a defense that is, you know, there are some ways that Penn State can beat them. They have some weaknesses that Penn State could potentially exploit. Absolutely. I mean, the, the number one concern with this team is the linebacker level. Um, there were... Problems against Iowa. Um, now Iowa, their ability to take advantage of those problems uh, was limited. <laughs> but uh, uh, Indiana, kind of the same. I mean, Indiana's big plays and their touchdown. Um, came, I mean, were just uh, you know they they just leaked a running back out of the backfield and nobody picked him up for a while. <laughs> um, and the Michigan. Uh, has had two issues at, at it. I mean, they've got two starting inside linebackers. They run, they say it's a three, four. It's kind of just a four, three uh, that's shifted, but um, they, they're two inside linebackers. Uh, Junior Colson is the returning starter. He started as a freshman last year. He got the freshman all American tab, which is kind of a gift and a curse because it means like, it just mostly means that you played a lot. Um, and, he played. He played a lot. He he flashed a really high upside, which he has. He was a former top 100 recruit, but he also looked like a freshman a lot. And this year, he hasn't taken as big of a step forward as Michigan fans hoped. And Nikai Hill Green, who was expected to start next to him, hasn't played yet this season. He's been hurt. They have not disclosed what that is or when he'll be back. This is Michigan. This is how they operate. So um, 
they do have a, a very experienced linebacker to step in for him and Michael Barrett. Uh, but Barrett, he was the one who gave up the touchdown against Indiana, which was kind of surprising because usually coverage is his strong suit. But um, sometimes he can get a little caught up in the muck on the inside. He's a guy who moved up from kind of a hybrid safety role uh, and eventually bulked up to inside linebackers. So there are some worries, especially if, uh, I mean, with Penn State, with with Nick Singleton, I mean, I, you know, if you know Penn State delivers him to the second level, I, I can see him ripping off some pretty big plays, and in a game that might be determined by who gets a couple of those, um, that that that's a significant concern for Michigan's defense. So when you you say all of that, and it sounds perfectly reasonable, and then I look at and. Again, it comes with a huge caveat of offenses they've played in SP Plus so far, 128, 122, 121, 16, 102, 92. But you look at this Michigan team, and it's allowing 5.1 yards per completion, or yards per attempt, apologies, and it is allowing 2.6 yards per rush. Both of those are in the top 10 nationally. So what is the stuff on this Michigan defense that you think they do especially well and has made it so, even when you kind of take a step back from Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, you think you can think, oh, you know what? This is a defense that can have them in contention to win the Big Ten, can have them in contention to make it to the playoff, all that sort of thing. Uh, Maryland definitely helped uh, in terms of showing that. I mean, I, I had a, a good deal of belief in these cornerbacks in particular and the secondary in general before the season, and they absolutely locked Maryland's receivers down. And Maryland has, you know, Raheem Jarrett, Dante Demas, Jacob Copeland. They've got, uh, they got good players. receiving core. And um, DJ Turner is kind of the headliner cornerback. He has lived up to expectation. He is, he is a lockdown guy there. And he kind of overshadows Jamon Green, who – almost never gets noticed because he just he just doesn't get thrown at for the most part because he's, he's just yeah. always in the pocket of his receiver. He's a really long cornerback, so even if the ball gets put at, like most of the throws that have been in this, his direction have basically just been punted out of bounds on the sideline because there's just nothing to throw at. Yeah. Um, so between that and obviously the loss of Dax, Dax Hill was you know thought to be really major for a team that did not have an obvious replacement at slot corner um, and Dak, it, Hill was just a huge part of this defense last year, but Mike Sanders still has flipped over from wide receiver and been awesome in the slot. And I'll be curious to see how that holds up against elite teams, but he fared well against Maryland and he's been, in addition to being good in coverage, he has actually been one of Michigan's better blitzers, which is mm. wild because he's tiny. Uh, I mean, he he looks really undersized out there, but he he's an extremely physical player, just a very natural football player, and a, probably the most pleasant surprise of this whole team this year because that that was a spot I was deeply worried about this year. And then um, the safeties have been pretty solid, and the defensive line, uh, Smith and Chris Jenkins, really anchor things against the run up front. Mike Morris has been awesome. Uh, he's like, I don't know what they list him as, but he's probably playing, uh, you know, defensive end at 290. Uh, and he has been one of Michigan's more effective edge rushers in addition to just being a guy who uh, you don't run at him. Like, it doesn't work. Uh, so, and, and they've had some 
uh, younger players emerging at defensive tackle, particularly Mason Graham, a true freshman who came in at like 320. Uh, yeah, they've got they've got some really good looking young players. And then to help kind of replace uh, the edge rushers, um, a guy who's really coming on is Yabi Oki, who was formerly known as Yabi Anoma, um, the five star who uh, has had a bit of a vagabond college career. Uh, there weren't really any. I don't like the expectation was just this is a total flyer when Michigan took him in as a transfer because, uh, you know he'd been kicked out of off Alabama's team. He had I think left Houston before even playing for them. Ended up at an FCS school. Um, so this was just taking a total chance on a guy that Michigan recruited out of high school as a five star and seeing if uh, he matured to the point that uh, you know they could utilize that talent and. He is coming on tremendously over the last few weeks. He, I mean, he flashed right from the beginning. You could see the athleticism. And now yeah. he he's starting to get closer to a starter share of the snaps. He has totally usurped Taylor Upshaw um, on the depth chart. And he he completely raises the ceiling of this defense because they, they don't have a dynamic pass rusher like him. They have some good ones. Jalen Harrell's been pretty good, but he's more of just like, a very consistent player, a player who can get home on well-designed blitzes. Uh, whereas Oki is somebody who can just make it happen on his own. And with Michigan's ability to get push uh, along the rest of that defensive line, um, they can really collapse pockets, which is something that, uh, especially against Sean Clifford, you know, they're going to, they're going to need to maintain that pocket integrity. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely better to kind of collapse things around him than, uh, you know, try to get, wild with twists and whatever up front and leave gaps for him to scoot out of the pocket. So uh, I, I think Michigan's probably going to play things relatively straightforward and see if they can just get a more, I mean, they'll mm. still blitz. They, they've been pretty, they've been more blitz happy with Jesse Minter than they were under Mike McDonald so far. Um, but a lot of that has been um, showing five, six guys at the line of scrimmage and then, only bringing four, dropping a couple out, and just trying to confuse the offensive line to the point where they're only blocking those four rushers with three linemen. I, I was just going to say, that's like the interesting thing with Penn State because like Clifford, you know, has his limitations beating you after the football is snapped, but he's at his best when he can beat you before a snap. And like it's the thing that you saw against Auburn. He was basically going up to the line of scrimmage, going this, 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 like just pointing out everything they were going to do. Auburn ended up doing it, and then Nick Singleton and Katron Allen would gash that defense. So that, like, that's that's interesting. Like, I'm, I will say the one thing that does really concern that really concerns me is if Michigan can get that edge pressure, I'm confident they can beat the Penn State's right tackle consistently. I don't think they could beat Penn State's left tackle consistently, but I think that will be a really really good battle yeah. over on that side. Uh, like. The entire thing with Sean Clifford is the more that you speed him up, the more concerned that he, the harder it comes for him to do his job. And if you can speed him up after the snap and make life difficult on him before the snap ace, like that, like that's where I think if Michigan runs away with this or puts a total lid on Penn State's offense, I think that's where it comes into play. Yeah, and um, and I think there's also a a converse to this, which is Michigan had some trouble against Indiana in the first half when they went tempo. And they've mm -hmm. had some issues. They also had trouble with Maryland. Maryland made the game look a lot better than the the 
game really played out. Um, the final score is not really indicative of how that game went because uh, when they went tempo late in the game, Michigan had uh, their backup linebackers in, and they just couldn't get a line to save their life. Um, so there have been some issues uh, over the past couple of weeks in terms of just getting guys in the right spot before the snap. So, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, P- Penn State is a team that, has utilized tempo, you know, mm-hmm. over the years. Sean Clifford knows how to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they've got some sort of, you know, if they, if they're planning to have a couple drives where they've basically got it all laid out beforehand. And it's just all about getting to the line of scrimmage and locking Michigan's guys on the field. Cause the best way Michigan has been able to combat that so far has been Indiana tried to sub while going tempo. And uh, that that's how you get a delay game. <laughs> Uh, the refs missed that call actually once and allowed in, in called an illegal substitution on Michigan. That was uh, total BS. Um, but Michigan God. got a critical delay game against Indiana later in that game when the refs actually remembered the rules. Um, and that kind of took Indiana out of going tempo on Michigan. But um, this is, it seems like a defense that sometimes has a, a certain level of complication to it. Uh, Michigan is trying to do, some rotation, uh, both up front and at the linebacker level. And occasionally they can get caught out on that. So I I think there will be some opportunities for Penn State to see if they can lock the wrong guys on the field uh, or just get Michigan confused with some tempo. But also, I mean, you said that right tackle. I think uh, the right guard has also had some issues picking up pressures. So uh, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan maybe uh, tries uh, Yavioki over that left tackle and sees if he can just get pressure organically and then on that right side that they're doing a lot more fancy stuff um and we'll we'll see how it goes but i i think jesse mentor is going to get he's going to try to put the the right side of that offensive line in hell a little bit trying to sub while going tempo jesus christ like what bell baby i i i i think the words i would use to describe indiana football are clown shoes but we will talk about them on a later uh episode of the podcast let's dive into uh picking winners and stuff like that ace if you had to look at the play you know not blake quorum uh you know not like the big names the ones that you should expect to have big important performances on this game in this game who are X factors to you, the players, uh, the individual things, whatever it might be that are kind of just on that big checklist that might not be the obvious things that need to happen if Michigan wins this game. Who, who are you checking on? Like, who are the names that are on that list? Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I think RJ Moten is really starting to come into his own a little bit at safety um, where the couple like he hasn't been tested much downfield for i mean we've we've discussed the schedule <laughs> but uh <laughs> he made a really spectacular interception uh coming over from center field against Maryland and actually tipped a ball to himself and caught it and his issue last year was he had a um he gave himself the opportunity for a couple picks and then just uh showed bricks for hands and that was a little surprising cuz uh he was a MLB prospect level center fielder, um, which uh, I guess doesn't necessarily mean you have great hands because you do have the glove. The glove definitely helps. Um, But you can see that that baseball um, kind of tracking ability when he plays free safety. Um, He's somebody who's really good at taking angles, 
putting himself in a position to get over the top of plays. He's not letting things get past him, and he's putting himself in a position to create turnovers. So I think um, R.J. Moten, and also I, I shouted out Mike Sandra still earlier, but that guy is just super fun to watch, and he's going to come up and, and try to mess some things up on the edge in a way that you will not expect from a dude who's probably, I don't know, 5'10", 180. Like, I mean, the, the dude's basically my size, um, and he can lay a real hit. So I would say those two guys on defense, and I know we've mentioned – Luke Schoonmaker a couple times, but the, the guy is the number two receiver on this team basically right now. Part of that is just the amount that things get spread out among the res- the wide receivers who aren't Ronnie Bell, but it's also because he's uh, such a strong blocker that it really opens things up for him as a receiver. And uh, Michigan just, they trust him with so much in the game plan in terms of uh, getting things done as a blocker, leaking it. Like, so many of the things that Michigan does is based off of getting the defense's eyes on that tight end and either um, changing up what he does or using him as misdirection. So you want to watch Luke Schoonmaker, and you also want to watch whatever the hell is happening around Luke Schoonmaker because mm. they're going to be using him to get the defense's eyes in the wrong place and generate some chunk plays. And uh, I just realized I forgot to ask this earlier. Uh, what was that Fox graphic with J.J. McCarthy and just, like, all the stuff that he is made up of? So, so they did a Frankenstein graphic. Yeah. I was going to say, I, do you remember, like, the specifics? Because it was ridiculous. Oh, yes. I, I'm pulling up my <laughs> gif of it right now. Um, so the legs are Lamar Jackson's. Uh, the head is Tom Brady. And Tom Brady looks very grumpy. Um, he does not want to be what? in this graphic. Uh, I, I, you know, you know, Ace, I liken that more to the divorce, but that's neither here nor there. Oh yes. No, that's, that's totally fair. Uh, the arms are from Patrick Mahomes, of course, um, both arms, you know, the, the left two, why not? Um, and then there's a category that's just called finesse and finesse apparently applies to your torso. Um, so they have put Aaron Rodgers torso on this horrific Franken creature that, I mean, if you combine all these things, it would easily be the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, and it also has very little to do with JJ McCarthy. Right, you're 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 basically describing Josh Allen at that point. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's like somehow freakier Josh Allen. That's a uh, listen. Good oh. good on Michigan for finding that guy. But, uh, go ahead. Uh, the bucket problem is deeply bills pilled because uh, of Taylor and uh, Connor's of Taylor, presence. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, we're and uh, I am now uh, fantasy football invested in Josh Allen as well. So, yeah, no, we're we're deeply bills billed over here. I have a thing to talk talk to you about after. Oh yeah, this. I just yeah, remember yeah. neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's get into like the picking the picking winner portion of the podcast, and we'll start with the game of fill in the blank, which is fill in the blank. Michigan wins if blank. I think if they don't turn the ball over, they win. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty – or at least win the turnover battle. And, I, I mean, that was kind of the thought heading into Iowa. I think it's a similar thought, as we've talked about, heading into Penn State. Obviously, two pretty different teams, um, at least in terms of Penn State actually being able to score points. Um, but, uh, I mean, Iowa had a hell of a defense, um, and Penn State – I think Michigan will be able to at least take chances for some more big plays against them. And yeah. So at that point, it's just take care of the football. And then 
to move it to the other side, Penn State wins this game if blank. If they can open up holes up front on a consistent basis, uh, then Nick Singleton, I think, is going to rip off some big plays in a way that could very well swing the game. And let's get into the prediction portion of the podcast. I My dumbass just changed it, but I believe the line is something like Michigan – uh, minus seven, uh, minus six and a half, just something in that general ballpark. Uh, I'm pulling up the SP plus predictions for this week right now, but I believe it's something similar. It is Michigan 32, Penn State 20. What do you generally think when you're trying to, in your head, project out a score for this game? Do you think it's more like the last couple of Penn State Michigan games where it was 21-17 Michigan, 27-17 Penn State, 28-21 Penn State? Or do you think it was like before that where it was 2018-42-7 Michigan, 2017-42-13 Penn State, 2016-49-10 Michigan? As much as I'd love to be homery and pick the the blowout side of things, I think it's going to be bore in the in the closer recent uh, ilk of games. It's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I mean, between this being like a real significant test for Michigan on both sides of the ball for the first time, and yeah. the way they're going to approach this game, I think, in in unless like we talked about, they hit uh, a couple big things early, which is going to be tough with Penn State's cornerbacks. I mean, they're really strong on the outside, and that makes it hard. Um, then I I expect this game to be uh, at the very least competitive into the second, well into the second half. Um, I, I will admit I did uh, make one of my predictions that Michigan will cover, but I am also a, a you know, I love Bill Connolly and, and that's his, uh, he's got a pretty strong uh, Michigan cover pick out there. And um, I do think that, you know, there, like I can see a circumstance in this game where Michigan runs away with it. I don't really see a circumstance in this game where Penn state runs away with it. A lot of that has to do with the venue. Um, it's nice to play at home, but uh, yeah, I, I think the medium out, median outcome is somewhere around that seven points, but I, I, I think it's more likely to be over that than under that. I, I, I think I'm inclined to agree. I, I'm going to give a quick hat tip to uh, the fine folks over at Hardcore Penn State Football and their podcast. They have uh, tweeted out a stat, which was Penn State's record with Clifford at quarterback uh, when they run the ball fewer than 29 times in the game, 16 and one, when they run it 30 plus times, nine and nine, or no, this is just that uh, when Clifford throws the ball, apologies, when Clifford throws it less than 29 times, 16 and one, when he tries, when he throws it 30 plus times, nine and nine, 35 plus times, one and five. I oh. think this just gets to the general thing with this game, which is that even beyond the fact that it's on the road and you just want to do this on the road as a general thing, I think Penn State needs to be able to run the ball. And I think if Penn State can basically turn this into a gross, grimy game where they are running the football and keeping the ball out of Michigan's offense's hands, and most importantly, keeping their defense from being exhausted, uh, they're going to have a chance. I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that. I actually, while I love Bill, uh, 52 total points in this game feels high uh, when I yeah when I just think about like how Penn State's going to want to play this game and how Michigan's going to want to play this game and how both of these teams are going to want to keep the ball on the ground and you know turn it into a grosser uglier game I think something a little bit lower than that I think 
like the score that popped into my head at the start of this podcast was 30, 21. And then I went, I just don't know if it'll be that much. So I th- I'm down to something like the 24, 16 range. Yeah, 20, if I had to say 17 is right about where, where my head's at right now. So that, I mean, this yes. could be one of those games where like you, you get like, eight possessions for each team that, that, you know, don't, that are actually full and don't end the half. And uh, yeah, I I could see this being a game that kind of flies by on the clock too, just in terms of, yeah, uh, you know, these teams are keeping things, keeping the clock moving and uh, probably both. I mean, Jim Harbaugh likes to do that just because that's who he is and Penn state, that's probably a, a, a good route for them to go in terms of right. keeping the game close and potentially springing the upset. Right. You want, you want Nicholas, if you're Penn state and my guess is if you're Michigan too, the more that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen can impact this football game, the better things go for Penn state. Absolutely. And, and I like, I just generally think that's going to be how this game plays out, but it should be a fun one. Uh, I hope it's a quick one because I'm going to the Yankee game in Cleveland that night. So let's get this wrapped up nice and tidily, uh, fellas. Uh, and speaking of wrapping things up nice and tidily, Ace, tell the people where they can find your stuff. Uh, you can find me at meetamidfield.com. Uh, it's, uh, like, like we said earlier, a, a wonderful meeting place for Ohio state and Michigan fans. We've also got a lot of Penn state fans on the board. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it, we cover big 10 stuff. We cover national stuff. So, um, it's, it's worth checking out and signing up. And then I'm on Twitter at ace Ambender. Um, yeah, find me there. And you can find me also at bucket problem for the, uh, the podcast, which, uh, as Bill hinted at earlier, uh, he will be on a premium show this week. So, uh, we'll be getting even more of this, uh, but from the, from the opposite <laughs> perspective. Yes, it uh, should be a blast, just like this entire podcast was a blast. Ace, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you to everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Head to the Linktree link in our Twitter bio to see everywhere you potentially go. And if it's a, a platform where you can give us a rating and uh, a leave a, subs- a yeah, leave a description, I'm doing great. Leave a description. By all means, please go ahead and do that. This stuff really does help. Uh, make sure you're following us at the Twitter account at RLR blog. And as always, make sure you are going over to Homefield Apparel, sponsor of this podcast. And if it's your first order using the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. <laughs>